John chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there this morning. John chapter 4. We talked a little bit about uh, this at one point when we were in the fourth chapter of John. I just felt the Lord uh, turning me back to this scripture to expand on a particular portion of it. John chapter 4, this is the account of the woman at the well. I always love this story because here was Jesus going to a place. He said to the disciples, we're, we're going to go here and we're going to go through Samaria. And they didn't want to go through Samaria because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Okay, The Samaritans uh, were a mixed race. You, you kind of have to understand that at that time... Um, Let's, let's kind of look at the, the war over in Ukraine at this point in time. So let's say that Russia conquers Ukraine, which I hope doesn't happen. Uh, only God knows how this is going to turn out. But in the old days, let's say that, that, that would happen. And what they would do then to keep the Ukrainians from rising up against them, they would repopulate them to different parts of Russia and usually it wasn't just one country. They had these huge kingdoms, right? So they would repopulate people, keep them in small. They would move these people over here, move these people over here. That way no group would get big enough to rise up and challenge the authority. So that's what happened. This, the Samaritans were a mixed group of people with also mixed religion. Okay? There were Jews in among them, so they worshipped the God of heaven, but they also worshipped a whole bunch of other gods. So they had this uh, weird mixture of thing going on, and for that reason, because they were not Jews only, the Samaritans wanted no or the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. So Jesus and his disciples, they're going for a walk one day, and Jesus said, "I want to go this way," and they're like, "Through Samaria? Hello." We out in the sun a little bit too long today. What's what's we don't want to go through there. Jesus said, "Yeah, I want to go through there." And not only did he go through Samaria, but he stops at a well in order to speak with a woman. He knew she would be there. The disciples had no clue. He knew she would be there. And this woman was a five-time loser. Okay, according to the scriptures. Uh, when, when they get into this conversation, she'd been married five times, and the guy she was with now was not her husband. She was out to draw water all by herself. Not even the other women in town wanted anything to do with her. She was one of them. You know what I'm saying? So he goes through the place that nobody wants to go through. He stops to talk to him, and, and in that day, in the patriarchal you know, thing, he wouldn't have talked to a woman anyway. So she's a woman, she's a five-time loser, nobody wants anything to do with her, and yet Jesus, he aims for her. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus just, he goes where nobody wants to go to meet the people that nobody wants to meet, to love people that are broken, to love people that are not perfect. How many are glad of that? He came to me, <laughs> right? He came to me. So that's the background for this passage here, beginning at verse 19. And the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, because he just told her, 
you, you've had five husbands and, and the one you're, you're with is not your husband. She's like, oh, I don't know you, right? I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes into this, this thing, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, because she could tell he was a Jew, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus cuts through all of that and he says to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. They didn't have the whole truth. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Okay, the whole prophecy of Messiah uh, coming to save the people came through the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Recently, as you know, our music team, with the blessing of the deacons and the advisory council, adopted a more focused time of what we call worship, right, at the beginning of our service, one that has uh, received a lot of great feedback in the congregation. And I've, I've briefly, as we were kind of going through that, I briefly gave a rationale to the congregation on what was going on. Uh, remember, I used the illustration of singing happy birthday, right? We all sing happy birthday. We're focused on somebody, aren't we? But today I really want to explore the topic of worship so that we can not only get the maximum benefit, if you will, to our church, to our hearts, to our lives of this thing we call worship and, and our worship service, but also to deepen our relationship with the Lord, because really that's what it's all about. Amen? Now, the first thing that we need to make clear is that even though we call this a worship service, and the folks that are up front, we call the worship team, right? The songs we sing are called worship music, right? In fact, if you type in worship to Spotify or another music service, you will get a bunch of Christian songs, right? Hymns and contemporary songs that are considered worship. Even, even the world recognizes this is worship music, right? But worship is much bigger than music. Worship is much bigger than a church building. Worship is much bigger than a Sunday morning. Can I get a witness? Worship is a posture. Let me say that again. Worship is a posture. What do I mean by that? Well, if someone came in here in a wheelchair, okay, you would all probably, because you're all nice people, you would all probably adapt a posture of compassion towards them, wouldn't you? You'd get out of the way. You'd say, oh, you can sit here. You can come through here. Hi, how are you, right? We, we adapt a posture of worship toward them. Or if somebody came in here and said, you know, you're all a bunch of hypocrites, you Christians, we might take a defensive posture to that, wouldn't we? So a posture, then, is an attitude about someone, right? An attitude 
that affects how we respond and relate to them. So when we say worship is a posture, we're talking about an attitude toward God. An attitude that affects the way that we respond to him, affects the way that we relate to him. Are you with me? Okay. So now the word worship comes from two words, one of which is the word worth. W-O-R-T-H, worth. I don't know if you can hear the with the fans going in the back. Worth. So worship is recognizing God, right, for who he is. Infinite in power and in glory and in righteousness and in holiness. Right? Acknowledging that, recognizing that. And also that he is infinite in love and in mercy and in faithfulness. And being most high in all of these things, he has supreme worthiness, doesn't he? He is supremely worthy. There is no one, no thing worth more than him. He's worthy of our utmost consideration, our utmost reverence, our utmost esteem. And if we take that attitudinal posture, right, and make it a physical posture, what do we do? We kneel. We bow. We lift our hands, right? The physical posture represents the mental posture, the attitudinal posture towards this one who is supremely worthy of my attention, my energy, my focus. He's God, almighty, but all loving and all merciful and all faithful to me. That's who he is. We're in the presence of him who has no equal. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. We worship Him because we know that when we are in His presence, <laughs> that next to Him, we're dust. Right? Next to His worthiness, I am so unworthy. And yet, this awesome, infinitely worthy God abased himself, took on human form, took on himself the penalty for my sin and your sin in order to save us and reconcile us to himself because he loves us that much. And so our response to him is one of praise, one of celebration for his goodness to us, right? And at the same time of praise and jubilant celebration and rejoicing, there is also the humble exaltation. Holy, holy, holy. Right? And I'm not even talking about church. 
Because this God who is so worthy to be reverenced and adored surely is worthy of it every day of the week. Isn't he? Acknowledgement of his existence, of his presence, of his greatness, of his mercy and his love. And not just during our quote-unquote devotions. Right? He's no less worthy at 8 p.m. than he is at 8 a.m. <laughs> right? So this posture of worship towards this great, benevolent, awesome God is really a 24-7 thing, isn't it? Yeah. All day, every day. Not that God expects us to kneel down in Walmart and give thanks for this shirt I just got on sale. Lift my hands, right? Not that he's not worthy of it, because he is, but that's not his expectation. If it was, Jesus surely would have modeled that in the Gospels. He probably would have created a monastery for his disciples where they just would have cloistered themselves in and just... Uh, all day long. I love Gregorian chants. They're just so neat. I could, I could pray to those all day. Um, no, that's not what he did, right? They went places. They, they had fun. They were out on the boat. They fished. They did all these things. But nonetheless, we can do all those things with a heart posture of worship, can't we? Still grateful, still thankful, still acknowledging His presence and His love and His mercy and His greatness all day long in all that we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We thank God for our food, don't we? Why? Because we're supposed to. No. Or is it because we are truly acknowledging the Great One as our provider? Since I use the word truly, let's go back to our text here. Jesus said in verse 24, He said, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In truth. Truth means two things. One, that it's founded on truth. Okay? There are many false religions out there, aren't there? Islam, for example. Their God, Allah, is also the creator of all things and infinite in power and authority. But their God is not a God of mercy. Their God did not come in the flesh or die on the cross for our sins. Ergo, he is not the God of the Bible. And although they worship, and when the thing goes off, they bow five times a day in worship to this God. It's not the God of the Bible. And it's not the truth. So they worship, but they don't worship in truth. That was the issue with the Samaritans that Jesus was addressing. They were not worshiping in truth. They were not worshiping the one true God alone. They had this mixture of things going on. So 
Truth means that it's founded on the truth. Truth, number two, also means that it must be sincere. It must be authentic. Worship. Again, not just rote words before a meal. Bless the Lord for the others. Amen. That's not truth. It's not authentic. Right? And it doesn't have to be this long, uh, flowing, uh, King James thou thing. A simple lift to the eyes to heaven or a bow of the head and a simple thank you. A simple, sincere thank you. That's enough. That's really enough, isn't it? Because it's truth. Right? It's authentic. Same with the songs we sing. Let's be honest. We've probably all sung a familiar song, or two, or three, or seven, with our minds a hundred miles away, haven't we? Or maybe not too far away. Maybe a wrong note, or a typo on the slide, or the cologne with the guy next to you, or lack thereof. Right? Maybe it's not my favorite song. Maybe it's not my style of music. I think I told you the time that I was at a men's retreat. And uh, they said, we've invited this guy to come and lead us in worship. And he comes out and he's got an accordion. And I can appreciate an accordion now. But, but you know, 40 years ago, I was too cool for an accordion. To me, it was oompa-pa, oompa, go away. I can't worship to this. <laughs> but the Lord showed me that I had to get my eyes off of the accordion and back onto the one who is worthy of my praise. Didn't matter what the style of music is, I was there to worship Him. Didn't matter what the instrument was, didn't matter what the song, I was there to worship Him. Him. And when I got my eyes off of the other stuff and put my eyes on Him, I was able to worship, worship, worship. No, it wasn't like that. There, there were songs that you would know that just done on the... But I was able then to enter in and truly connect with God during this time. And that, that's really the emphasis and that, that's why, you know, again, we, we've kind of taken away all the distractions, say at 10 o'clock, it's time to focus on the one who's worthy. Time to let everything else go and focus on him. You know, the, the, the words to the songs, whether they're old songs, new songs, it doesn't really matter. The, these are songs birthed in the hearts of people, songs of worship, songs of thanksgiving, songs of praise, sometimes song, um, what a friend that we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry all, all our, whatever, to God in prayer, everything. Do you know that the writer of that song struggled with deep depression? They needed that song. There are a lot of songs like that. It is well with my soul. You've probably heard that story. 
right? The man who wrote that on board ship going to the place where his four daughters drowned. And he's writing that song to connect with God in that moment to say, you know, this was horrible, it's terrible, I'm grieving like crazy here, and yet it is well with my soul. I know where my kids are. I know that they're in heaven with the Lord, and I know I'm going to join them one day, and it hurts like crazy. But beyond the grief, it's well with my soul because I have faith in Him. Right? He connected with the goodness of God. He connected with the faithfulness of God who is beyond all the rest. And so, again, whether it's a, an old song, a newer song, connecting with those words, expressing those words to God. Well, they're not my words. Well, neither is the Lord's Prayer. But we say, you know what I mean? We get behind those words and we express them. Or we just let those thoughts penetrate our hearts and our hearts open to the presence of God so that when it comes time for the sowing of the word of God, our hearts are open, we're ready to listen. I have had God meet me uh, dramatically in a time of worship. And I, and I just want to encourage you, don't let the time go by. Shut everything else out, everybody else out. Focus on him. Connect with him. He'll change your life. Maybe weekly, it'll change your life. I know what it's done for me. So, truth. Okay? Truth, because he's worthy. There's a million little things that can take our minds off of that focus. And we have to fight it, don't we? Whether it's devotion time, whether it's singing here at church, whether it's you know our, our prayer time, uh, trying to read the scriptures or whatever, the phone goes off, the doorbell rings, the cat's chewing on this over here. There's a zillion things that try to steal that focus, and the enemy's right on top of that, trying to keep us from connecting with him. We all fight it. We all have to, as the Bible says, take every thought captive, right? And get back to saying, wait a minute. This is God, and he's here with me, and he is worthy of my attention. He is worthy of my affection. He's worthy of my praise and my thanksgiving and my honor. And when we connect with him in that, it's not just like self-abasement. There is a, a connecting of hearts where God can speak affirming words to our hearts and remind us how much he loves us, that we are his children, that he's going to get us through the difficulties that we're going through. That, we, that no matter what other people said to us or did this week or whatever, that we are his, we belong to him, we are significant in his eyes, right? All because of that connecting time with him. Very, very, very important. So truth, truth, focusing on him. Authenticness, genuineness. Little prayers, big prayers, songs, whatever. So worshiping in truth, he also says to worship in spirit. In spirit. 
to worship in spirit, Jesus said, in, in, in giving the reason for this, he said, because God is spirit, right? Um, with, with the Samaritans, worshiping the Hebrew God was worshiping with idols and, and everything else. Jesus was leading them toward what? Truth, speaking of the nature of God. God is spirit. He is not confined to an idol. He's not confined to any physical form, right? We know that. Um, he's a spirit being. And although he can certainly appear in a burning bush or in a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud, which he has, right, in different times, but he is ultimately a spirit being just like we are. We are spirit beings. That's the, the inner reality part of us. We live in this physical human body of ours. We are confined to this human body until it can no longer function properly, right? And then we leave it, and as Paul says, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Hallelujah. So who is present with the Lord? We are. Without the physical trappings, we, 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 this person, right, is present with the Lord as a spirit being while our flesh is buried in the ground waiting for the resurrection. So, what does it mean to worship in spirit? It means, although my body might be kneeling, or I might be standing, I might be singing, I might be lifting my hands, I might be doing whatever with the, It's what's in here that's important. What is going on in here, spirit being to spirit being? Again, making that connection with him. Not about songs, not about prayers. As people say, I can't pray like you. No, forget the words. It's the sincerity of the heart. It's the connection that's important. We've already said we can do all kinds of things when our minds are somewhere else, right? The important thing is what's going on on the inside. You've heard the expression to do something as unto the Lord, right? taken from Colossians 3.23, or when Jesus in Matthew 25 says, as you did it unto the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. We probably don't think of that when we visit a sick friend or help out our nice neighbor next door. But boy, it sure comes in handy when our neighbor next door is not so nice. Then we can do it as unto the Lord, right? That's that attitude of worship brought into our every day. Um, or when the boss gives us a job that we don't want to do, or when we're tired and grumpy. That never happens to any of you, but it happens to me sometimes. To do the right thing is to honor the Lord, isn't it? Why? Because he's worthy. Not because my neighbor, my not-so-nice neighbor deserves it, not because I feel like doing this job, not because of any of these things, but when we do it as unto the Lord, he is certainly worthy of any attention, any, any task we can do. He's certainly worthy of it. To love someone who is difficult to love, to do what is unto the Lord, watch this, doesn't mean to do it because I have to. It means that I can shift my focus away from the person to him 
and do this act for him because he is always worthy of that time and attention and energy, isn't it? Because now you and I can posture ourselves toward him. He is worthy. He has been so faithful to us. So I'm not treating this rude person with kindness. I am doing something extraordinary for him. Right? That's worship. That's worship in spirit and in truth. So worship, expressing worth to God, is a posture. It's an attitude that permeates every aspect of our lives, at home, at work, prayer time, free time, with our friends, with our enemies, even at church where we come together to worship in song, in prayer, in loving one another, right? in receiving truth and direction from the Word of God. So let's set our hearts on the worthy one. Let's adopt a posture of worship. And, and I love where Jesus says, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. This is how he starts the prayer. This is our start to see how worthy he is, how most important his will and purposes are, and set that posture of worship to go throughout our day. Spirit to spirit, sincere in our hearts, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, once again, we proclaim that You are worthy. There is none like you. Hallowed, holy is your name. Because you, <laughs> you're, you're him. You're, you're the God of everything. You're the God who started it all. There's no one like you. There's no one above you. There's no one beside you. There's no one that even comes close. Infinite in glory and might and power and infinite in mercy and grace and love and faithfulness. You are worthy to be praised. Help us, Lord, throughout the day, whether we're praying, whether we're singing, whether we're eating, whether we're worshiping, whether we're interacting with difficult people, or whatever we do, may we do it, Lord with our hearts in a posture of worship towards our awesome, gracious God. We thank you. We give you the glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen.